Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life, behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. You guys, we have made it to the end of 2021. I feel like we have all earned a solid pat on the back for surviving this year. I hope you were able to take some time over Christmas to feel some joy, connect with those you care about, and that you found some moments of rest. Looking ahead to 2022, I have no idea what life will throw at us, but I am claiming 2022 as a year for making a mark. I am tired of waiting, waiting for COVID to be done, waiting for my kids to be bigger, waiting to have enough time or money or energy. I want 2022 to be a year of yes to what feels important to me, as well as a year of strategic no's to protect my time and energy for all the yeses I want to have. I'm willing to bet money that I'm not the only one feeling overweighting and ready to take a stand and reclaim this life as my own. Are you feeling me? When I think of what I would love to say yes to, they aren't wild and crazy things. I mean, I wouldn't say no to being handed like a million dollars and the ability to move into a nicer house or something like that, but that's not what I mean. I want to say yes to my kids more when they ask me to play. And I want that yes to be a wholehearted and authentic yes. I want to be the one who suggests going for a bike ride or staying late at school to play at the park. I want to adventure. In big ways, I would really love to travel again and be off in the world somewhere new, but also in small ways, just taking in what's around us more and making more time and space to really experience where we are and what we have at our fingertips. I want to experiment. I want to try new things. I want to be open to failing and making mistakes. I want to risk. I want to return to old things I used to love. And I want to explore things I've never tried. I want to be open and moldable, willing and curious. When I think about what I need to be able to do all of this, I come back to grounding. Being present in the moment and connected are vital aspects of being able to say yes. Feeling anchored to who we are and what we want in the here and now allows us to know what is in alignment to say yes and what we need to guard ourselves from with firm no's. Caring for our own selves and our hearts helps attune us to our own interests, needs, and worth. And from this place, we can know where our yeses live and where our no's need to step in. 
These last couple of weeks, we've talked about physical grounding to help anchor our bodies to the present. We've also talked about mental grounding to help our brains turn on the prefrontal cortex and offer counterbalancing support to the stress center in an effort to approach times of stress with our whole brains working to solve problems rather than just our survival mode working on overdrive. Today, we're going to talk about emotional grounding, another term for which is self-soothing. And when we use these three forms of grounding together, physical, mental, and emotional, consistently and intentionally, we gift ourselves with an increased capacity to notice and honor our needs, as well as the needs of others. And we allow ourselves the opportunity to make strategic choices about how we respond in situations rather than feeling knee-jerk reactive to them. It's from this place that we can give authentic and energetic yeses to the things we care about and clear no's to what we need to safeguard. Let me give an example. If you remember last week, we talked about the brain being like a muscle and that when we work out the stress center of the brain, we strengthen that part of the brain to be dominant in reacting to things. Meanwhile, if we practice grounding skills and activate and strengthen the prefrontal cortex, we build in a counterbalancing resource for the stress center that helps to assess, problem solve, and respond more effectively. So let's imagine for a moment that my kids are asking me to go take them to the park. It's a beautiful day, it would be good to get outside, and their eager faces make me want to say, heck yes! But then a message flashes on my phone from my boss who is losing it about something big that happened at work. Suddenly, my stress center is hijacked into the emotions and reactions to this message, all that it might mean and a sense of pressure to respond. In a split second, my yes to something I value has been usurped by the introduction of this new stressor into this moment in time. Now. If my stress center is permitted to run rampant on its own, unchecked by my prefrontal cortex, I will likely tell my kids that I have to deal with a work situation, watch their disappointed faces as they walk away, and then work to mitigate whatever has happened at work. Meanwhile, if my prefrontal cortex has had the ability to come to the party, it might be able to reality check the situation in ways my stress center just won't. It might say, hold on a sec, this isn't your responsibility. Or, this problem can wait until I go into work tomorrow. Or, your prefrontal cortex might have prevented this whole situation by not permitting work calls and messages from getting to you during your personal time to begin with, by turning off your devices or restricting access to you after hours to safeguard your home life from what happens at work. For now, let's say that you got the message. You didn't do all that proactive stuff, but you were able to use your prefrontal cortex to check it, and you've been able to decide to set your device aside and go to the park with your kids. Your yes feels in alignment to what you value in this moment, and you can trust that those dealing with the problem at work will be able to manage until you get back to work tomorrow. Sounds great, right? But here's where emotional grounding comes in. While you're going to the park, you still have a feeling, maybe activation from the message about work, 
curiosity or nervousness about what it will look like to walk in the door tomorrow, or maybe guilt for not replying and dealing with it in the moment. Emotional grounding is what helps us to soothe our emotional state and work to get back to some degree of homeostasis or balance. Now, in this scenario, balance won't mean emotionless. It will likely still mean some amount of uncertainty or curiosity about what I'll be walking into tomorrow. Because let's face it, we're human and we can't strip ourselves of all emotion and just feel chill every second. So, the goal of emotional grounding is not to remove emotion. It's to support our emotions to keep them within a range that seems okay given the conditions we're facing and that allows us to be in the present moment feeling appropriately about the thing we're doing without undue influence from the past or the future. Let me say that one more time. The goal of emotional grounding is not to remove emotion. It's to support our emotions to keep them within a range that seems okay given the conditions we're facing and that allows us to be in the present moment, like at the park, feeling appropriately about the thing we're doing, i.e. playing with my kids, without undue influence from the past or future, aka the influence of thinking about the thing at work tomorrow. In the going to the park scenario, this would maybe mean doing some emotional grounding techniques on the walk to the park, so that while I'm at the park, I feel open to really soaking in the joy and laughter of my kids playing, that I'm able to be free to be silly and play along with them, that I don't feel overly distracted by these other pieces playing in my head to the point that I miss out on these moments unfolding in front of me. Emotional grounding helps us to feel connected to the emotional experience of the moment rather than feeling like a bystander to our lives as they play out like a movie in front of our eyes. If you have kids, or you've been around kids a lot, you might find this an easier way to think about emotional grounding. If you aren't someone who spends a lot of time around kids, that's okay, it's not a prerequisite, just a helpful framework. When we spend time with kids, we spend a lot of time helping them to regulate their emotions. They don't have this capacity on their own yet, So they need trusted adults to help them guide through big feelings and trying to come back to some level of balance so that they can keep going about their business of being kids. I cannot actually tell you how many times I've had to support my four-year-old daughter through hour-long meltdowns about her socks. But once we're through it, she's able to hop right back into the next thing she's doing without a care in the world. It's like magic. We have this framework for how we help kids soothe when they're sad or scared or upset. It's often very gentle and involves a lot of coaching and coaxing to gradually come down from our big feeling place. We know that it's our role, so we take the time and we offer all kinds of support to caretake this need. This is the same framework we need to bring to our own interactions with emotional grounding. I often tell my clients that adults are just children in tall bodies. While our brains have matured just a little bit more than the brains of our kids, we still share much of the needs, wants, hopes, and wishes of our child selves. 
We gained reason and logic, but we didn't outgrow the need for support, care, nurturing, and soothing. That's not how brains work. Somewhere along the way, though, we decided that needing care and soothing was a baby thing or weak, and we made it a cultural no-no to model what it looks like to do adulthood self-soothing. So we developed new habits to manage this gap. Drinking, drug use, self-harm, binge eating, binge watching TV, endless social media scrolling. These are all of our version of semi-socially acceptable self-soothing in adulthood. Notice how many of these things are not particularly healthy. Okay, so let's talk about healthful emotional grounding, aka self-soothing, what this looks like and how we implement this in adulthood. Number one, find faces you can trust. You know how we can tend to scroll social media or binge watch TV? Research has shown that part of the draw of these forms of media is the sense of connection we feel to the faces we're seeing. It's a low commitment version of human connection, except that it doesn't actually fulfill many of the needs we have because our brain recognizes that they aren't real. They aren't our people. So try instead imagining the face or voice of someone you know and trust and care about, or look at photos of someone you care about and imagine what comforting thing they might say to you in this moment. Number two, practice kind self-talk. When you're watching a kid try something and they mess it up, would you say, oh my God, you're such a screw up. You're terrible at everything. I sure hope not. When we're talking to kids, we tend to have this ability to hold a lot of grace and be gentle and kind, compassionate and coaching. But with ourselves, if we don't meet our own standards, we rake ourselves over the coals for it. Like I said earlier, Adults are just kids in tall bodies. Your brain hasn't stopped needing that kindness and grace just because you got bigger. We need to work at speaking to ourselves the way a good parent or teacher would speak to a child. Things like, you're working really hard at this. It's okay that you're not perfect at it. Or, this is tough, but I've done tough things before. I know I'm capable of facing this. Or, I've been struggling with this on my own for long enough. It's okay to ask for help. These are all examples of kind self-talk that we can work at implementing in lieu of our harsher self-criticisms, which don't tend to help us make positive change and tend to keep us stuck in feeling shitty. Number three, snuggle. A pet, a kid, a partner, a pillow, a stuffed animal, I don't care what it is, find something, and cuddle. We are wired from birth for cuddling. Cuddling is what helped us regulate as infants to feel safe and cared for by our caregivers, and we never lose that innate longing for close connection and emotional reassurance. Research has shown that our cuddle hormones help to regulate stress, relax our bodies, and regulate our systems. Number four, play. Sometimes when we're feeling big feelings that are hard, we can work to regulate them by doing the opposite. When my mood is sinking, going to the park and swinging or playing tag can be an instant mood shifter. You can do this with a pet. 
kids, a partner, friends. Go be playful or silly or spontaneous. Do something you used to enjoy or try something new. Be a goof. Look silly. Be ridiculous. Give the child inside your tall body a chance to run wild for a beat and notice how it feels different. Number five, focus on favorites. Some people like to list things that they're grateful for. Others list their favorite things, food, music, movies, places, books, etc. Whatever it is for you, catalog the good, the likes, the meaningful things in your life. Doing this helps us remember to see the forest for the trees and helps us step back from the immediacy and intensity of what we might be struggling with to see that our lives are bigger and have lots of good in them too. Number six, find a safe place. Whether it's a real place you've been or an imaginary place you wish existed, choose a place that you can visualize and go to. Try to imagine yourself there with all your senses. What would you see in this place? Trees, ocean, stream? What would you feel in this place? A breeze, cool water, warm sunshine? What would you smell in this place? Fresh cut grass, salt water, sweet flower scents? What would you hear in this place? Crashing waves, chirping birds, stillness? Try to fill the visualization out to make it as real as possible. Make this a safe place you can come to in your mind anytime you like. Meditating on a safe place, focusing in on visualization like this, has been shown to reduce stress activation and support capacity for regulation. And number seven, listen to music. Music can be so evocative. It can elicit emotions in us we weren't having five seconds ago. It can be tied to memory and nostalgia, good, bad, and otherwise. Find some music that feels comforting, soothing, or evokes emotions that feel good to you. Have a playlist saved that you can jump to whenever you might need it. When I think about this list within the framework we set up at the start of this, that we're working to nurture the kids that live inside of our tall bodies, I can really see it. Like with my own kids, when they're really upset and dysregulated and I can see their brains are not managing well, these are the exact things I do for them and with them. I ask them to look at my eyes. I'm asking them to find my face, a face they can trust and that's associated with caring. I speak encouragingly toward them and work to affirm their efforts or feelings, even as they navigate something hard or hurtful. We snuggle. I invite us to play something together, even if it's just a game of I spy as we lay on the bed still sniffling and managing tears. We talk about our favorites or gratitudes, keeping in mind that there is good even in the hard. We anchor to safe places like the room we're in or an imaginary land. And I often do things like turn on a music box or play a song on my phone or sing a song that I know they love. 
This is my way of teaching them the skills to train their brains to eventually do these skills for themselves. This is how we co-regulate alongside kids to teach them the skills to eventually self-regulate when they're developmentally able to do so. When it comes to us doing these pieces for ourselves, our major stumbling block is likely to be stigma. Not just stigma from others, like I don't want people to see or know what I'm doing for fear of being judged, but also stigma from within ourselves that judges ourselves critically as weak or something for needing these things. Here's what I want to make really clear. Everyone needs these things. It is literally how our brains are wired. And you are not magically the one unique brain in the world that doesn't need these things or is better than this. While our culture likes to praise independence and self-sufficiency and a bunch of other bullshit, it's also a culture that has increasing mental health challenges. What that tells us is that how we're setting up expectations is not in alignment with how we're wired and we need to do it differently. So yes, this might be uncomfortable and it might feel countercultural, but good, the culture is breaking us. So let's be countercultural. Let's declare a new direction for our culture and value supporting ourselves so that we can sustainably support and value others without breaking ourselves for it. Let's recognize our own needs, be attuned to meeting them, and create more effective wellness so that we're not on the verge of burnout every minute of the day. Let's make new expectations and take ourselves off the hook for having to be everything to everybody all of the time. Let's nurture ourselves so we can refill our cup in an effort to be able to pour from it again tomorrow. That is what I hope for you in 2022. It's what I hope for all of us, that we might claim ourselves, claim our lives, and when life hits, which we know it will keep on doing, that we would have these things to anchor to. Here's to the end of 2021, and I want to sincerely wish you all the best for the coming year. As we wrap up today, I want to remind you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. Also, if you're working on applying the skills from these episodes and want to send a shout out with what you're working on, I would so love to hear about it. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. For any of you out there who are keen to share about Behind the Line to others who you know on the front lines, know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes, or subscribe to our email list to hear from me about all the exciting things we have going on and coming up. You'll find all the details you need in the show notes, along with links to our Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which will help you facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. We make all of this available to you guys because the work you do is really, really important. But even more than that, 
we know that you are really important and we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work. So use it, share it, and thank you. Until next time, stay safe.